Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 109 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dinas, and I'm joined as ever by my esteemed co-host, the Zone sports journalist, Liam Hap, good evening to you, Liam. How are you doing today? Evening, I'm not feeling that. Uh, still upstairs in the, uh, well, the last episode I was technically downstairs, but there wasn't much of a kitchen. But we are on the home stretch of the aforementioned house renovations. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, take over from the contractors for the last few bits next week. It'll be just us running the paint around the walls and putting the new flooring in, which will be pretty straightforward because... Uh, the, the father-in-law, the wife's dad, is a, a bit of a dab hand, so yeah, so, soon we'll be back to the usual recording studio. Excellent. Good news. Just well, in time for the spring. Yeah, when I say recording studio, I mean like downstairs in the house. I do not have an elaborate setup. Yeah, I, my, my recording studio here is a table in the kitchen. Yeah. With some lovely British wrestling posters around the walls. I have to say, I have seen those on when we have done video calls, and it's a, it's a nice backdrop. Indeed, yes. I uh, am always on the lookout for more, but my my rule is always that it has to be a venue that I've worked in. Mm. So, do you have a York Hall one already? Uh, I do not have. I don't know if they they did uh, York Hall in the in the eighties. I'm presuming they must have, or maybe they did. But um, there's several other venues around London. I mean, the one I've, one of I've got on my wall at the moment is the uh, Town Hall at Wembley, um, ah. aka Brent Town Hall. Um, there's also, you can get, well, I've seen ones for, um, Walthamstow Assembly Hall, which of course was a, a venue that the FWA used many, many times in the past that uh, you used to hurl abuse at me in. in. It's true. It's very true. But that being said, Brent Town Hall is another one that FWA have run. Indeed. I, yes. I, I remember going to a show there in 2004. I feel like it got, um... There was a bit of card subject to change. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was, but it was I way... think that was the one. That, was that the one that Steve Carino turned up out of the blue, unannounced? I think it was the one that Steve Carino did not make, actually. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the because I think he was he was going to team with someone against Alex Shane and Hayd Vance, and I uh, want to say. I can't. I remember. I think that might have been the show where Jake Roberts was booked, came along, and then was sent home again. Should we say? But um. Maybe. Uh, so this was this was the summer of 2004. Uh, Doug Williams main evented and he retained the title against the Zebra Kid. And, uh-huh. Ricky, and Ricky Knight turned on his son. As you do, because okay. it's wrestling. Yeah. So I remember that much. Oh, and Flash Barker had a retirement ceremony. He didn't wrestle. He didn't have his last match. He just had like an in-ring ceremony. Okay. And then he came back like a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah, no, I remember uh, I managed Birchill against uh, the uh, Hampton Court, Duke of Danger and Simmons, that show. Ah, I think, yeah, yeah, I that, think that, that was the only out. show, yeah, I think that was the only show we did there. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, as I said, always on, on the lookout on uh, on eBay and whatnot to see what, uh, what else is out in the old British posters. Listen up, slap nuts. 
That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. But um, today uh, we are we are gathered here, as, we, as they say, because uh, not because we're doing a, a watch along, not because we're uh, reviewing a pay-per-view, but um, we have, as, oh, as anyone who, uh, who's who been following wrestling news knows, we have had a, a, a pretty major loss uh, in the wrestling business, namely um, Scott Hall, who um, passed away just, just recently. Um, went in to get his hip fixed and looks like from what we can gather, there were, there were blood clots that caused three heart attacks and, and, and well, understandably no one, no one's going to recover from that. And, um, yeah, we have, we've lost a pretty major player in, in modern day wrestling at the age of, of 63. Oh yeah. Um, it's, if you think about it, because if we and we have covered this topic on various topics of different um type and category but whenever we make conversation about who is wcw and obviously sting is one of the names that comes up rick flair's an obvious one lex luger's there vader's there goldberg's there there's those names you get you get the new world order thrown up as a as a group, as an entity, without actually name-dropping the Hogans, the Halls, necessarily. But if you think about it, this is a guy who was around... I mean, it wasn't that long ago we covered... Was it Super Bowl One, And he was introduced in a, in, a, in a segment with DDP as the Diamond Stud. He was only there for like a year. But he was part of that, that era that brings most of us to this podcast that early 90s wcw worldwide over in the uk sort of era he was a part of that he then walked in with one of the most iconic angles in wrestling history when he announced that you know who i am uh but you don't know why i'm here uh and then we got you know the, the company's biggest period off of that cultural zeitgeist amazing times for wrestling as a whole and even towards the demise of wcw he was he was very much a central part of it even when he he'd long made it was long since he made his last appearance uh and those who've read the amazing book uh nitro uh, by guy evans will will be familiar with some of the details of that when Kevin Nash would, would constantly petition for him to be brought back on screen mm. with no permission or anything like that and there were Scott Hall cardboard cutouts and there was a Scott Hall Easter egg gag in, in a world title match between Booker T and Jeff Jarrett and then months later there was no WCW so not only was he part of the big part which is obviously what everyone remembers but he was on and off synonymous. He was a heartbeat of that company in so many different ways. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, such a, yeah. So, I mean, that, that night moment on that live nitro, which, yeah, we've, we've covered in a watch along. I'm, uh, I, I can't remember top of my head what episode number it was, or I'm sure I can find it later, but we, yeah, we covered that, that live nitro and that was the first two hour nitro mm. and Scott Hall showing up unannounced on a live nitro was really the thing that made everyone realize nitro was the, the big show of WCW. And I know it sounds obvious now, 
because yeah, with hindsight, we all know that that Nitro is the flagship show. But as we we've, we've seen when doing the watch-alongs, at that time prior to that, Saturday night was the flagship show. That was where the big angles happened, and Nitro was was almost secondary because they they weren't you know they were was trading w uh, trading wwf monday night raw and it was really it was you know that that famed 82 weeks and all of that really the the groundwork started with with the arrival of scott hall and then kevin nash um in wcw yeah it really shifted a change in the tone of the product didn't it and um yeah you're right because we've done the the Nitro watch-alongs in chronological order. We're slowly but surely working through them. We're up to about... I think we're on the road to, to War Games 96 right now, aren't we, Dean? We are, and, indeed, um, yeah. And, and, yeah, we, we had many 1995 Nitros watching the one-hour ones where we were like, this is an enjoyable show, but um, they, they seem to be referring a lot of things that, that we're missing out on. And you get the impression very quickly that technically the storylines still revolve around Saturday night and you get a fair few on Nitro as well and and that's absolutely right the, the, the first two hour live Nitro Scott Hall showing up that was when it made the step up to the flagship and he was right there synonymous with it yeah it's uh, episode 84 if you're looking for it that's um that's where uh Scott Hall debuts um walking through the crowd interrupting the mauler as we uh as we uh what wasn't the yeah, the mauler was meant to be the new big gimmick and it was clearly a massive bluff because it was just to make to distract us while uh, while Scott Hall turned up. But I mean, you yeah, looking through his his career, it's all, it, it's notable actually that the the first time he he appeared in in WCW or the NWA as it was at that point was in 1989 because I um, I remember and this is only with the, the benefit of hindsight uh, of getting a tape of the Great American Bash 89 and the opening match is a t- two ring battle royal and it's basically yeah, just all these all these mid card guys that that um are just give, being given a spot on the show and one of them with a sort of a bit of a perm and a big moustache is this big tall guy called Scott Hall um doesn't really do anything he and, and he he does have a few tv matches he um his debut on tv is losing to the great mutar he then debuts on i think he's on wcw pro and he loses to terry funk and he's basically he is just essentially a, you know in, not enhancement talent but you know he is he is a, a lower card guy who is basically staring at the ceiling every day it's nothing you know it's not it's not quite clicking um, then he goes to to Europe to the German tournaments, the CWA, and there's I've seen um, some some uh, articles from the magazines over there where he was known as uh, Texas Scott, um, and and then he was in New Japan for a bit, and and then then he goes back as you said, uh, Liam. Super Rule One era. He goes back to WCW in 1991 with the Diamond, uh, with Diamond Dallas Page, and he is the Diamond Stud. And that's where you can see the the beginnings of of the Razor Ramon look as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember every time there's like a a historical tweet, they'll use like a, a classic old photo of Scott, and I'm talking like before a lot of what you've described there. 
uh, like mid eighties, just breaking into the business or, mm. or just trying to get picked up by a school or whatever. And he'd have the the perm and, and the stash, a proper eighties look. Well, he he started out um, in some territories as Magnum Scott Hall because of the Tom Selleck Magnum style moustache that he had. Yeah, there's always some sort of look or gimmick that everyone's trying to replicate, isn't there? Uh, but yeah, he was very much fitting that bill. And one other thing that leaps off the page, because obviously he was a, you know, he was a big, muscular, good-looking guy, but um, in an era where they really didn't want anyone on camera who's under six feet, he was still freakishly large compared to most of your typical ones as well. Yeah. And yeah, he, he was always like a weird frame because um, it's not. A situation where you've got someone who's like 610 or whatever and you build like you, you've got someone in the Sid Vicious Andre the Giant sort of height and you can rebuild him as a giant but this was a guy who was just a little bit under that and yet could move twice as well mm. so yeah he, he, he really had everything about him and I think a lot of these companies were dying to try and make use of, of, of the physical package he had and once he went and paid his dues yeah, it wasn't long, and then straight away WCW went to play into his, you know, his, his menacing size and his and his looks, and they're giving him this diamond stud gimmick, which, you know, I mean, at, at this point in his career, DDP's like a, he's a he's a light relief act in the mid card. He's not really wrestling much himself, so he's introducing this guy, and it's not going to get taken too seriously. Uh, and he kind of just went about a bit. I know there was always talk, wasn't there, of, of, of him getting a bit more of a profile position, but it wasn't to be. He kind of just did some stuff, had some matches, didn't really go past a certain point. And then it was off to the WWF where he really started to make some 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 headway. Yeah, I mean, one one of the things that was um, that was mentioned as a, a, a possibility when he was the Diamond Stud um, was that he he was contemplated as as being a a member of the dangerous alliance mm. which i mean they they didn't have a a guy of his size in the dangerous alliance so they, you know i could i can see him having a spot there as not quite the not exactly the bodyguard but you know the, the muscle the muscle yeah yeah, yeah the, the yeah the, the clean up hitter yeah um, because yeah, you think about the size. The, all of the guys in the Danger Alliance were relatively similar size, so he would have stood out there. But I think, I think most of all, that would have given him a a much much bigger profile. Because yeah, you think about what the guys in that stable went on to do. Um, some in WCW, some not in WCW. But it's it's an interesting what if, isn't it? Yeah, well, even if like there were some frustrations later on for like obviously Steve Austin being the one that leaps off the page, but all all five members of that group uh, raised their profile within that group. You think of like Larry Zabisco, who did form a good team with Arn Anderson, but you know it, it weren't like they were, were catching fire as as this big entity, and they really managed to raise their profile and have some great feuds as well. It. it just enhanced everyone involved in it because it was such a good, you know, easy easy written stuff. Gang of bad guys, virtuous good guys to oppose them. All sorts of combinations, all sorts of feuds. 
a mm. great big all-time classic war games to blow it off. Uh, and if you've got Scott Hall involved in that, he's going to fit the bill nicely. So, yeah, I think it would have worked quite well. But the way yeah. things went, it weren't too bad either. No, no. But, I mean, I'm just thinking if... I think, you know, that at that time, the, the thing that... The thing that the diamond stud was missing, that, that obviously Razor Ramon and Scott Hall, when he was back in WCW as one of the outsiders, had, was that that kind of that charisma, that connection with the crowd. I mean, the the ring work was there, and the just the the big moves and that, but the crowd weren't. He wasn't quite connecting with the crowd. And all I can think of is like if you put him in a group with Paulie Dangerously and Arn Anderson, and and you've got um, Rick Rude in there and, and Steve Austin as well, um, who I know obviously Austin started a long time after Hall, but Austin was an absolute prodigy in that respect. Yeah, you just think you put him in that group and and think about how how much he's going to develop that side of his of his game. And it's crazy to think that uh, what twenty twenty odd years later. Uh, you'd get almost like a, a sort of semi glimpse of how that could have worked when for a, a brief period during the peak of New Japan's Bullet Club, you had his son Cody Hall operating as the as the muscle, as the, mm. I think they openly refer to him as the, the Bullet Club's young boy, the Bullet Club's rookie. Uh, who was there to to run interference, be the muscle. And he, he obviously would have been on that same sort of learning curve, Scott Hall, inside the Dangerous Alliance. He's a little bit further along, obviously, and we know in hindsight he he was able to take his talents a lot further. But there'd have been a, a, an interesting little similarity in the way that two, two Hill gangs operated and how the halls worked into it, which is always a little comparison I always have in my head. It's a, it's a trivial one, but it's one I always liked. No, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely gives you a glimpse into, yeah, what, what might have been, definitely, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, as, as you as you touched on, he went, yeah, went to the WWF as, as this kind of Cuban bad guy gangster, Razor Ramon, and over the course of not a particularly long period of time, he became absolutely massive. Yeah, because I, I, I remember watching one of... I don't know if it was his debut. I honestly don't. It it was definitely very early on. It was one of his first squash matches, if not maybe his first. Try to remember if it was Superstars or Challenge or something like that. And I know um, Bobby Heenan was on commentary because he's obviously slaughtered this this hapless dude he's, he's facing. And then he's called for his finish. And at this point, even though obviously we had a little bit of access to WCW, I was still young at this point. And uh, I hadn't actually seen him polish anyone off with his finisher as Diamond Stud. Right. Uh, and he's called for his finisher. And I, I always remember Bobby Heenan just like trying to guess what's happening. So he's going with a setup. He's like, what's he going to do? He's going to pole drive him. He's hoisting him up. He's like, oh, it's a power bomb. And then he's lifting him up with the crucifix. He's like, I've never seen someone held that high before. And then he's landed it. And Bobby Heenan's like, oh, I was like, that is the coolest thing. And Heenan just gave it such a great sell job on commentary. Mm. It was one of his first matches, maybe his debut as Ramon. And then not long after that, he was, um, he was kind of like, I suppose freelance hired 
by Ric Flair and, and Mr. Perfect to, to do some dirty work and help make sure Flair got the title back from the Macho Man. Yeah, but yeah, straight in, yeah, first, first sort of program in the in in the biggest promotion in the world, and you're right in the at the top level. Um, I think you know, even even going back to like when he debuted in Florida, he was Dusty Rhodes saw his potential because he was you know, very very soon afterwards was feuding with Dusty Rhodes. So people people often you know, always saw the the potential the guy had. It took. Vince McMahon to realize that potential. I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked on this podcast before about WCW or NWA or WCW's failure to create stars. Yeah. The, you know, it, it created sting and it created Goldberg and that was pretty much it. Um, all the other stars that I had were either, yeah, they were either stars already like, like flair and dusty, or they became stars elsewhere and then came into the company, which obviously, You'd you'd put Hall in along with you know Nash and people like that. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 had to do that switch, and obviously that's what we want to see in modern wrestling. Really, when you've got those options, those alternatives, it ends up working to the to the wrestlers' benefit massively. And you want to see that. You want to see their pay go up, their profile go up, their their bargaining power with the employers go up. This is good for them, and they. As it is one of the most infamous things about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they they played it masterfully, and they really made some good money along the way. Yeah, and I mean when, as we said, yeah, he he, he turned. I mean, I I remember I remember at the time, yeah, when when Hall turned up on on Nitro, and it, it turned the wrestling world upside down because. You know, this was a different era. You, uh, if it if it happened now, but like you think about it nowadays with things like the Royal Rumble guest surprises, you yeah you will hear oh so and so is has been spotted at the airport at whatever city they're in, and you know the last Royal Rumble we had, if you wanted to, you could find out the identity of every single surprise before it happened. But yeah, this didn't this didn't happen at the time. The internet was in its infancy. And and it yeah it really turned things upside down and it was at that point once once Hall debuted you were expecting Nash which is why they didn't you know, it wasn't such a big dramatic entrance for Nash he just kind of you know pops up at the sides of the screen, um, but yeah it was it, I you can't understate how big a deal it was that this guy who was a massive star in the WWF just turned up on on Nitro because all due respect to Lex Luger, but Lex Luger in the WWF did not reach anywhere near the heights that, that Scott Hall did as Razor Ramon. Yeah, Luger and Hall had the shock factor, which was good. And one, th- one thing I see a lot of people say about now is they, you know, people complain about they, there's not enough surprise and things like that. The thing is, is as you kind of elaborated on, it's, it's not easy it's not always actually possible to do something like that but absolutely when it when it does happen it's fantastic and i like i like the fact you referenced the way they did the nash one yeah there was a little bit of expensive there and they played into it because you'll see that now where yeah if cm punk's return being a good example you know everyone was a buzz over it and they still managed to make it feel like a big thing you can play it perfectly i'm i'm, I'm glad to see modern instances um not feel like they have to do something for the sake of a surprise 
But what was great about Scott Hall's return to WCW it was the perfect storm of, you know, they had that shock factor. They had that cultural factor. Everything about it just worked. Mm. And everything that happened after that made it seem a bigger deal in retrospect, obviously, because obviously if they screwed up the angle, uh, it wouldn't have been so great. You think <laughs> it would have been like the Nexus who, who in WWE had this big debut and it was like nothing else you've ever seen. And then when they got squashed two months later, no one even remembers the really good part. So they did a good job of just turning this angle into such a thing where now it is. It, it's it's an iconic debut. It's an all-time. Yeah. It's great for, for, for all of the above. Yeah, and I think, I think it's fair to say as well, and given the, the viewing figures that came about after that debut. But I think it's fair to say that Scott Hall debuting on, on Nitro and, and, and Kevin Nash teaming up with him as well, meant that a lot of people who'd probably never watched WCW before, maybe even didn't know that WCW existed before, then started tuning in. So it, it made so many other people aware of other you know that there was this other promotion that they had other guys on. You know, and then you, know, you watch you watch Nitro to to see Scott Hall, but then you're also seeing the likes of Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero and, and people like that for the first time. And and then you know when like when the the Radicals went over to to the WWF, massive reaction for them because people knew who they were because they'd been watching WCW possibly because they've been because Scott Hall's defection had sent them that way. So it, it it's it's this you know the, the 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 old proverbial pebble in the water. It's this this ripple effect from that debut and that two hour nitro. All you know, it just goes outwards and outwards and outwards. Yeah, and like you, you'll get a lot of wrestling debates in the modern day that that really get a bit like jaded and lazy, and and, and one they like to throw out there because they don't have a clue what they're actually talking about is trying to brand wrestlers needle movers or or wrestler doesn't move the needle and as we saw with the Scott Hall thing he went from being a you know a low card guy to having a a good run in WWF but again not he, you know he was never the next Hulk Hogan there he was intercontinental you know a record setting intercontinental champion had a good run and he's gone through the gears another time. And thanks to that debut, thanks to the work that he put in the character work, especially the pre- we've, we've crowed about the production values of the New World Order angle, because everything was done in a great way. It turns out there's a legacy left by the good work done by Hall and all involved. And now people refer to the New World Order and school. Oh, yeah, they... They they made things happen. They got everyone's attention. They moved the needle. It turns out you, you it's not just a, a chosen one mantra. You either born with or you don't. You put the work in, and you have good people around you putting in the work in as well, and you just create this this great great thing. And that's exactly what they did there. It's not just one guy. Oh, he's he's just so and, and Scott Hall was so cool and the way he carried himself, mm. but everything had to be done right for it to have the impact it did. And it did. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about the personality and the charisma and that. And I mean, we all, we all know what, what WCW booking was like. Sometimes it was amazing. Sometimes it was awful and, and people's momentum went up and down, but whatever 
whatever they were doing with Scott Hall, whatever whatever role or, or route they gave him, when he got in the ring and grabbed the mic and went, hey, yo, everyone in that building was reacting. Every, you know, the, the pop was consistently huge. Yeah, he, he never, ever lost that. He, he just had a natural presence, didn't he? Uh, obviously, like physically, he had a lot going in his favour with his height, his size, and all that. But he he adapted his look over time. He grew with confidence. He kind of evolved rather than losing his past. He he would build upon what he's already had. Uh, little little callbacks to previous eras and things like that. Uh, and yeah, the, the the whole package just snowballs. And it's good to see with with certain wrestlers who don't who don't lose their identity, they 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 just build up and build up and build up, and that that turns into such a presence. And he just had that the the more the more work you put in, almost the, the less you have to do, because he'd he'd walk into a ring and he'd kind of just, you know, you, especially in the new new world order days where, you know, they'd fill the ring for a promo of about fifty people. And you'll have big guys growling and you'll have other guys like shouting at the fans, doing everything to get some attention, put a bit of focus on them from this huge group. And Scott Hall was the one doing the least. And yet the camera was trained on him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be just something subtle to make you notice him. But like you said, not be the center of attention. Yeah, and, and even some little things he did. But one of my favourites was everyone remember when he'd mock the giant. <laughs> he'd yeah. do the Frankenstein walk and things like that. He just had these little things in that were just so no no one would do a taunt like he would do a taunt. The, the wiggling fingers. That's yeah, all it was, the, the wiggling fingers. Yeah. It, and, uh, sorry, go for it. I was just going to add there, there. There's not too many modern wrestlers that have that sort of. Uh, that grasp with their mannerisms. I'd say maybe like you, you're looking at a few like Kevin Owens springs to mind as being so good with just their little mannerisms and that, and it just sticks out in your mind. But there's not many more that are, that are on Scott Hall's level. Yeah, and yeah, another another thing I'm I'm just thinking of is like one of the most uh, you know again an, an an iconic moment in WCW and an iconic moment in in Nitro history as well was was the night that that Goldberg beat Hulk Hogan to win the world title but go back one week and in, people don't always remember that the, per, the the week before the person that Goldberg had to beat had, you know the member of the NWO he had to get through in order to earn that match against Hogan was Scott Hall, um, and and that says a lot on on two levels. One that you needed somebody who was a big enough star, that big enough level, to be a credible a be a credible threat to Goldberg, and b be a credible result for when Goldberg beat him. Because you know, all due respect, if he beat someone like you know Vincent. Well, it wouldn't have any real meaning because everyone would be expecting him to win. So you've you've got that star level that 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 gave Goldberg the shine, but then also, you know, Goldberg was a reason was a relatively new guy um, in a, in the most high profile match of his career to date. 
you pull him in there with someone that can just steer him through if needed. You know, someone who's who who you know what they're going to be like. Their work in the ring is always going to be solid. And that was again, that was Scott Hall in that situation. He yeah, he wasn't chosen for that role by accident. If I remember correctly, though, I'm from wrong here. I think um, didn't he face Scott Hall the same night as Hogan? I think he that he was uh, wasn't the that no... earlier in the card. I thought that was Raven. Didn't he beat Raven to retain the US title? Have I got have I got that the wrong? Was it he, the, beat, the he night... beat Raven to win the title uh, the day after Spring Stampede? Um, Raven was champion for one day. I feel like he beat Scott Hall to retain the US title at the Dome. And then later in the night. You're quite right. Yes, I've just checked it up. You're quite right. It wasn't the week before. It was the same night. Yes. Beg your pardon. Because there was there was all that talk initially of, of Hogan Goldberg being just a dark match, wasn't there? Yeah. And I'm presuming Goldberg Hall would have been his one and done of the night had yeah. they gone that route. Yeah, but, you're uh, quite right. But yeah, like t- talking of, of Scott Hall losing to people in WCW, one of the things that's always most well known is he happily went out there and lost to people that everyone else in the company of his stature would would probably not even want to share a ring with they get the you know the randy savage nope story would would come to life for for a lot of top stars who wouldn't even want to to wrestle certain wrestlers even if they were winning in five minutes and scott was going out there and losing clean to chris jericho he lost to hector garza and he was happy to put people over yeah, um, some. I mean, sometimes it was a bit of the like slip, as the old saying goes, slipping on a banana skin type type thing. But then, you know, he did that with with Sean Walkman as the one, two, three could and launched the guy's career. So, so yeah, yeah, he 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 definitely he definitely did that. He definitely. I mean, they all, you know, they all had creative control in their contracts, and we know, yeah, we've spoken at length about the the damage that that did to the company ultimately, but. Um, I think yeah. Out of out of all of them, Scott Hall was the one with creative control that would would work with with people um a, a lot more. And, and yeah, what we what we've seen recently as well is um is people just sharing stories of um of of his generosity. Um, yeah, we, there's been um someone um uh, someone i know who's a wrestler who had had who's had their own mental health battles over a number of years and obviously connected with scott hall in that respect um and and he basically was saying about how he'd had a certain amount of therapy and then had to stop because he couldn't afford it and basically he said that at the end of the at the end of the show or the end of the, the weekend scott hall said oh, can you come up to my room help me with my bags and he, you know, he did that, and Scott Hall basically gave him a thousand pounds so he could have some more sessions of therapy. Um, and you know, until until now, that was never that was never publicised. And there's there's been so many so many stories of his his generosity and his charity in that respect, and being like a lot of the time, like having young guys on the on the road and paying for their meals because he said, yeah, that's what the veterans do, and I, I presume that's what when he was younger, that's what veterans did, and and that that kind of pass it on kindness because you know if you have someone doing that for you, then when you're in that position, you're you're happily doing it for them. So you you know you're you're leaving a, a legacy of kindness there. 
Yeah, because I think uh, again, like if, I, if if I've got this a bit hazy, then fair enough. But I believe like Chris Jericho, one one of the guys who obviously was a beneficiary of the uh, of one of Hall's decisions just to to lose to his scheduled opponent that night. I think he he said it along the lines of just saying like, you know, um, what 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 am I gonna gain from from getting this win compared to what you can gain and mm. they're having they're having like the nwo do a beat down afterwards what like it, it was along the line of something like what why, why the hell would we just win win the match and then beat you down anyway and he saw it as if he if he like loses this match even on the banana skin finish uh that will really make people sit up and take notice of 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 chris jericho and and remember his name and then yeah. and then i, I Lo and behold, the NWO have got a massive reason to beat the crap out of him afterwards, and, exactly. and it's better TV as a result. Yeah, and the the live pop, and you know, and you, and and going forward, you can still say, you can still reference that this guy beat Scott Hall. So absolutely, yeah. Um, and you know, we, I think it's, I think it's important that you know, we we also acknowledge, obviously, he had his problems, his demons. You know, we saw. We saw the best of Scott Hall and we saw the worst of Scott Hall. We saw him at the very top and we saw him at rock bottom. And and I think the thing that to me is so heartbreaking about this is is the fact that you know he'd had those demons and he'd beaten them. And you know we he had the the much publicised DDP yoga stuff and 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 you know he'd had people rally around him and help him out and. And he was, yeah, he was a, a success story and, and, and an inspiration to other people of, you know, you can overcome this. And, and it, you know, to go through all of that and then pass away from complications from, from hip surgery, it's just, it, it's, that to me is the thing, that's the bit that, that really, that really stings, that really hurts, you know, that, that, it, that it's come about like this. Well, it, it, I suppose you can look at it like that, but another way of looking, if you think, uh, I think Roddy Piper's a great example, who would openly tell everyone he, he does not expect to see 65, and he didn't. Mm. Um, he knew his, his way of life and the physical toll. He knew he was spending years of his life for, for the life he ended up having. Uh, and Scott obviously did. He, he lived at a very breakneck speed. Um, Eddie Eddie Guerrero is another one you think about who who had his problems got got himself sorted out and um, you know and, and it shocked everyone when when he passed oh, away yeah um, but yeah the 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 toll it ends up taking ends up being that case I remember um, reading that Hall had like a traumatic upbringing didn't he yeah which definitely yeah. didn't help with situations and yeah there's also a situation where for all the stories we say of how he did these things to really help out somebody on their talent there's there's just as many there's probably one or two stories for each of those where he has been just really antagonistic and mischievous to to his fellow man in the locker room which is a shame but um yeah, like, yeah, but we we yeah we we know that that you know the cause of that was that he was he was having his problems and you know and and he overcame them in the end and and I think that you know you you look at the 
the reaction to this news and the out there's just been an outpouring of, of love and of, of, of positivity towards the guy. I think even any, I think, I think it's safe to say anyone that he antagonized uh, yeah, uh, over time would real would understand that he wasn't in a, in a good place then. And, and, and he, you know, he, he got himself better. Yeah, it's, it's a sort of bit you don't like condone that sort of behavior, and you kind of really just hope that, especially an industry like professional wrestling, is just improving as a whole and there's less toxic. You can only hope so. I'm not in a position to know that firsthand, obviously, but you hope it gets better than the, than the sort of environments that happened in the 80s and early 90s and, and gave us some of these tragic stories and, uh, and such a frequent rate of demise. But but yeah, um, his his legacy as a professional wrestler is is indisputable. Massive, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's been it's been reported in mainstream news outlets that that's the the reach that the guy's got. But I mean, yeah, we've talked about the the, the legacy of Scott Hall. Another thing we haven't mentioned yet is that it was it was Scott Hall who um inspired the crow gimmick in Sting. Yeah, there was a because that's been doing the rounds like yeah. over the last few days for obvious reasons. Was the whole snippet where Sting had in an interview confirmed it, and everyone was saying like, "Well, was it? Oh, you should you should be like Brandon Lee in the Crow, or oh, you should just by, by the sounds of what, what Sting was saying, it was basically just a suggestion that you go with the with the darker clothes and the, yeah, and the, the image. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the lack, just the lack of color, you just go to the uh, opacity, don't you really? Uh, but it was the, yeah, he credited Scott Hall absolutely with that suggestion. And uh, they, they just ran with it from there. Didn't they? The lot of them. Yeah. I mean, he, I think the words were rip. I'm not telling you to, to rip off taker, but rip off taker were the words <laughs> he, he used. And, and again, look, look at, you know, he, what we 20 25 years later and sting is still using that that image yeah we've we've seen his look evolve because i think the closest to a departure we've seen and you remember about 10 years ago he tried to do like a a dark knight joker style sting which yeah. had a bit of a limited shelf life uh, i think he's done little things I, I remember when he did his big um title versus career match against Jeff Jarrett at Bound for Glory. He, he he tried to go for like a hybrid of classic Sting and Crow Sting and it was quite a nice look. It didn't really lie. There was a bit of red, white and black in there. It was almost like he was trying to merge all those looks but every time the base just ends up going back to you know, you know, more so than surface sting, people see Crow Sting as, as his as his base look. Uh, that is what he's known to be. Uh, when when the wrestling cameras are on, and Scott Hall was just as influential on that as he was on a lot of other things. Yeah, and um, one one other story that I don't think is particularly well known actually is that um, did you know if it wasn't for uh, Scott Hall, there may never have been uh, Johnny Storm. Oh really? Do tell. Yeah. So before um before either myself or Johnny got into the wrestling business itself. We we knew each other as um, as fans. Yeah, we'd um, I I lived in um, Brighton. Johnny lived in Hertfordshire. So we'd often you know the nearest shows to us would be London. Um, and the, again, this is pre-internet. And um, yeah, we would 
we would basically find out which hotel they're at and go and, and you know just basically wait wait in the lobby of the hotel before when they got onto the the coach to get you know pictures and autographs and stuff like that and they're always bless them they're always very amenable and everything um and um Johnny would sort of take things a bit further. Sometimes he'd kind of dress up as a as as a wrestler or something like that. But he'd you know, get their attention. He and it, essentially this was at a time when the WWF were coming to the UK a lot because domestic business was down and European business was up. And um and you know Scott Hall noticed Johnny and and got talking with him. And you know anyone who knows Johnny Storm knows he'll talk with anyone. And and they struck up. You know, a bit of a, a friendship over time and um and you know johnny johnny talked to him about you know his dream of becoming a wrestler but you know this is as you you mentioned earlier about you know no one under six foot was being employed this was you know the land of the giants and and he didn't think that he'd you know he'd got the the size to be able to make it as a wrestler and and essentially scott hall just encouraged him every step of the way you know don't give up and you can you just basically told him to find a training school and get experience and and yeah every time he came over to the UK they'd they'd be in touch and he you know he kept in touch with him and find out how he was doing and so yeah really John you know Johnny Storm was was inspired and guided and uh, by um by by Scott Hall if it wasn't for him there you know he might not have taken that step to to launch what's been a you know a very successful 25 year plus wrestling career Oh, that's that's so good to hear. It's a really good story. Uh, and you think in, in an industry that's so full of people pulling the ladder up, so to speak, mm. uh, it's so good to hear Like there, there are people like Scott Hall who do want to help people and the next generation and even their peers. Uh, yeah, for, for all the stories that have gone both ways on Scott Hall, there's, there's no denying that he really put in a lot of work to, to encourage and help which is really good because, as you know, Dean, a high tide lifts all ships, doesn't it? Yeah, and and you know he recognised as as we've said on 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 this podcast before as well. You know he recognised that today's fans are tomorrow's wrestlers or, or wrestling people. You know we've we've seen Justin Roberts in the audience of a Nitro. You know Johnny Storm was in the audience of a WWF show, as was I. Well, there have been lots of people in British wrestling that I remember being in the audience of, of, of shows. Andy Quilden, and the promotion of Revolution Pro Wrestling. He was a regular at the Walthamstow Assembly Hall along with yourself in the FWA days. So, um, yeah, yeah, he, he recognised that just as much as anyone. Nice. And it's a big theme even in mainstream wrestling. You think of the uh, MJFC and Punk feud that was Ooh. based around one of these fan meetings. Um Chris Jericho and Ricky Steamboat played into that, and that was a lovely little uh, unexpected rivalry when Steamboat came back for a few matches. Yeah. And even that, I mean, tie this into to the Scott Hall thing. You think about where, do you know that story from Jericho's book where uh, when they did the match, uh, they did a Honolulu leg, and I, th- I think that's where it was. Uh, I'm not, yeah, so... Or was it Caroline? So somewhere with with a um, a connection to Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. And they're doing the things where he's he's wowing everyone and 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 showing like his skills still there despite his advanced age. And obviously 
Chris Jericho, the, the, the upper card wrestlers going over. And the agents and Jericho decided they were going to have Ricky Steamboat to win in front in front of his uh, his connection crowd. I'm trying to remember, did they, did they go to Hawaii or was it like North Carolina? Or something? I think it's more likely going to be North Carolina. I don't know, I'll have to check again. But yeah, there, there, there was just a big connection on, on that card and they did that. And uh, yeah, it's it, it connects to that whole thing about doing the, the, the old rivalry with your fans and, and, and playing up the you know, t- um, today's fans, tomorrow's wrestlers thing on wrestling shows. And if you think about it, it's very much a, a Scott Hall move to, to put the other guy over like that from a guy who was a beneficiary of that from Scott Hall. Mm. Comes full circle. Full circle indeed. So what what is Scott Hall's legacy to the wrestling business? Um, he's a trailblazer. He's absolutely one of a kind. And, and one thing that gets thrown around a lot that I'm not a huge fan of myself because we know about how the circumstances work and how things have changed and all that. But when people say, oh, who's the greatest to not win a world title, that, that gets thrown around. And there's a certain degree of trueness to it. But for me, he's more someone who proved that he never needed a world title. I think that's a bloody good shout. Yeah. He he proved that, you know, as we're seeing certain companies now have a, a big load of talent at their disposal and only a certain amount of championships. And, and you know, AEW is a good example where they really rotate who main events, uh, any given dynamite, any given pay-per-view. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing an environment now where Guys like Scott Hall absolutely would would rise to the top, even if they were of this generation. Well said, very well said. Yeah, it's um, I when I when I think of of Scott Hall, and I, I just think of that yeah that that larger than life presence in the ring, and even when even when he was a, a heel, but obviously more so when he was a babyface. One of the things I always remember being taught. Is that as a as a babyface, you want to make the fans want to be you, which is like I guess why you sell merchandise. You know, John Cena comes out in one of his bright T-shirts, and you see all these people wearing the same T-shirt that he's wearing. It's because they wanted to be like John Cena, and just just thinking about the 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 familiar mannerisms that he had. You know, because we always say ref. It's all about repetition to get things over. And just like seeing him performing live here in the UK, the number of, of people who would, you know, put their arms out like the, like the aeroplane walk that he did or, or point to themselves with their thumbs like he did. And, it, you know, just, just remembering the number of people who, who wanted to be Scott Hall. Because um, to go back to what you said right at the beginning, he was so cool he was just so bloody cool wasn't he <laughs> absolutely oh man scott hall we will miss you sir we will miss you very much and thank you for being such a huge part of such a such a, a, a such an important era of wcw's history and and of being such a huge part of one of its all-time most iconic moments this is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to Because WCW. Well, thank you for listening, folks, to uh, 
our, I guess, our tribute to Scott Hall. I think part of this was just a bit uh, therapeutic of us getting this off our chest and just being able to grieve a bit for, for someone that we were great admirers of. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at becausewcw, facebook.com forward slash becausewcw. We'll be back shortly, hopefully under uh, happier circumstances. Um, but Scott Hall, he may be gone, but we know for certain he will never, ever, ever be forgotten. Thank you for everything. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you down the road. Bye-bye.